the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter, with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in the book of Deuteronomy. God had been preparing the children of Israel to enter into the Promised Land, but once they entered and dwelt in the land, they were to continue to love God above all else and to do what God had commanded them to do. The Israelites were to be a unique people, different from the surrounding nations. Moses had delivered many speeches to them, commanding them to follow after God with their whole being in every aspect of their life. There are still things for Moses to do before the nation goes into the promised land. Moses will finish his race well and wants the Israelites to do the same. We join Pastor Will in Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 1. Well, part of loving God supremely, and that's what Deuteronomy is about. Moses, I told the people, he said, you know, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. That, that, that is what this is all about, loving God supremely. And part of loving God supremely is finishing well. The Bible and history are full of examples of people who didn't finish well. So when we study the life of Moses here at the end of Deuteronomy, it's a refreshingly wonderful consideration of ours because we can see that it's possible. We see so many who don't finish well. It's really refreshing and beautiful to see someone who did and know that we can do it as well. Now, while we watch Moses finish well over the course of these last few chapters, chapter 31, there's kind of a looming cloud over it. And the cloud is the question of, we're watching Moses finish well, but what about the rest of Israel? What about the rest of the nation? Will they finish well? And thus, as we study this chapter, it kind of brings the question home 3,500 years later. Will I choose to finish well? My hope is that by the end of the study, Moses' choice will be yours as well. So chapter 31, we begin in verse 1. It says, And Moses went and he spake these words unto all Israel, and he said unto them, I am a hundred and twenty years old this day. I can no more go out and come in. Also the Lord has said unto me, You shall not go over this Jordan. Moses spent 40 years of his life in Egypt, a prince of Egypt in a sense. He spent the next 40 years of his life as a shepherd out in the middle of nowhere. And he spent the last 40 years of his life leading the nation of Israel out of Egypt through the desert and to the promised land. But here he says, I've, I've done all that, but I, I can no more go out and come in. The phrase there is, I am not enabled to do this anymore. It's, it's less about physical restrictions. It's not that Moses was 120, he couldn't do the job anymore. We're going to get to the end. He's going to say, my eyes not dim. I can see fine. I can think fine. I can move fine. That's not the problem here. It's not about physical restrictions. It's more about spiritual restrictions. Because he explains, I can no more go out and come in. Because that was his responsibility as their leader. Moses would go out from the presence of God to the people to relay God's message to them. And then he would go back into God's presence to bring their requests to the Lord. So Moses is saying that God is, he's discontinuing his leadership. Moses' role as their leader is complete. And that's what he says. The Lord has also said unto me, you shall not go over this Jordan. He can't be the, even their advisor anymore. His task is done. 
But as we come to that point, Israel is not left leaderless. The Lord was always the one leading them, and God's going to give them another man who will lead them as well in Joshua. So Moses reminds them that even though he's not going with them, they will be just fine. And in verse 3, he exhorts the nation this generation to finish well. He says, listen, the Lord your God, he will go over before you. Yes, I can't, I'm done. But he will go over before you and he will destroy these nations from before you. And you shall possess them. And Joshua, he shall go over before you, the one leading you basically, as the Lord has said. And the Lord shall do unto them as he did to Sihon and to Og, king of the Amorites, and unto the land of them whom he destroyed. And the Lord shall give them up before your face that you may do unto them according unto all the commandments which I have commanded you. So be strong and of a good courage. Fear not, nor be afraid of them. For the Lord your God, he it is that does go with you, and he will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. As Moses exhorts this generation to finish well, I love it because he says, I can't go with you, but the Lord will be with you and Joshua will lead you. The Lord, he says in verse three, he will go over before you. I I love that. It's a beautiful picture. When Balaam was hired by King Balak of Moab to curse the nation of Israel, he went up on the mountain. Of course, the Lord said, don't say a word unless I tell you to say it. Balaam, this pagan soothsayer, goes up on the mountain and God gives him a vision. He gives him a vision of Israel down there and he describes how he sees Israel from the mountaintop that God is in their midst. He sees his pagan soothsayers, sees Jehovah God in the midst of Israel, protecting them from all harm. And he goes, I couldn't curse them if I wanted to. The Lord, their God is in their midst. And so Moses, he continues that thought with this beautiful picture here of the Lord crossing over the Jordan in front of them. He's going to take all the first hits. He's the one that's protecting them. He's their shield. He's their strength. He's their victory. And so he says, he will destroy these nations from before you and you shall possess them. Yeah, I won't be with you, but Joshua, he shall go over before you as well. He'll lead you. He'll be right behind the Lord as the Lord has said. You know, J. Vernon McGee said, God uses every man, each man in his own time. But when the time of the work for that man is finished, God's work still goes on. It does. Don't ever get the thought, well, man, I wonder what God would do without me. He's likely to show everyone. (laughs) His work still goes on. It's bigger than any man or any woman. So Joshua would lead them. Moses reminds them that God would give them victory just like he did in the past. And the Lord shall do unto them as he did. God's path faithfulness is a guarantee of his future empowering. The Lord shall do unto them as he did unto Sihon and to Og, king of the Amorites, and unto the land of them whom he destroyed. They had walled cities too, and they took them out. And the Lord shall give them up before your face that you may do unto them according to all the commandments which I have commanded you. We get later on in this chapter, and you say, well, Pastor, I thought you said there's this looming cloud of whatever over the nation. We'll get to that in a bit. And as we get to that, it's going to be some pretty heavy language in the sense that it's like, wow, that's, that's not very inspiring. I mean, there's really, do they have a shot at all? I mean, is this is really how bad they are? It's, it's not looking good. And when you read all those warnings that the God and Moses give to the nation in this chapter, predicting that Israel will fall away, it can be easy to focus on those alone. No, don't forget that this chapter starts with the encouragements of sure victory, that God will be with them and that God cannot fail. The Bible says we're not ignorant of the enemy's devices, and, but frequently we are ignorant of the enemy's devices, and that's why we don't fight very well against him. And so the enemy comes to us, he whispers and he goes, you're a loser. You know, and where do we go? We go, I am a loser. Instead of going, wait a second, devil a liar. He doesn't tell the truth. He has no truth in him. We're not ignorant of his devices because the scripture tells us what his devices are. And he's a liar. He's a murderer. He's a thief. But the enemy, he likes to use God's warnings to us so that we see our past failures as guarantees of future failure, doesn't he? 
you know, we see a warning of the scripture. You know, like, like for example, we, in this morning, we had some heavy scripture, you know. The servant that doesn't do this, he's going to cut him in two and appoint him with the unbelievers, you know. And if you're struggling with your faith a little bit or not really walking with the Lord, you know, you're probably like, that's me, man. I'm gonna, Jesus is going to cut me in two and send me to hell. When we see those warnings, they're there not to, to frighten us. They're there to challenge us and say, hey, come on, let's, let's move forward. Let's stop standing still or going backwards. Let's move forward. But the enemy comes right alongside that and he goes, yeah, see, you, you tried that before and it didn't work. Every time you try it, it doesn't work. So you're just going to fail again. So why bother making that fresh commitment to the Lord? Why bother trying to walk with the Lord? See, the enemy, he likes to use God's warnings to us so that we see our past failures as guarantees of future failure. See, here's where the lie comes in. I'm not even to look at myself in any way as a source of victory, right? It's not like the enemy is going to look at me or you and go, well, you know, I can't lie to Will, can't lie to so-and-so because, you know, they don't have any past failures. So if the enemy wants to condemn me, he's not lacking for ammunition. I mean, seriously, I mean, if the enemy wants dirt on me, he doesn't need to go into any closets, all right? He just needs to spend a few minutes with me. Because it's plenty. I'm not righteous because I'm righteous. I'm righteous because he's righteous. When I look at future steps of faith or future victory, I don't look at my past successes or failures as things to move me forward in faith. I look to the Lord who can't fail. I'm to look to the Lord who will work in my life victoriously. And so all I need to do is encourage myself to trust him more to work in me and through me. And that's what Moses says at the end here to the nation. He says in verse six, be strong and of a good courage. Fear not, nor be afraid of them. For the Lord your God, not you, he it is that does go with you. And he will not fail you, nor forsake you. If I was a Baptist, I'd be pounding this thing right now, right? I mean, that's, that's a pulpit pounding moment. Be strong. It means you must show resolve. Webster's defines showing resolve as a strong determination to do something a strong determination to do something. I had my oldest of my two daughters. She was little. We were out this park one time. And you know how, what, what do kids do when they see a slide? They want to go up the wrong way, right? I mean, every kid, every kid, they come down and they want to go right back up and not go around on the stair. They want to climb right back up the thing. And so they had this little tiny slide, you know, for obvious little ones. So no one else is on it. So normally I tell my kids, no, you don't do that because you're going to get kicked in the head and it's just not the way you do it. But it was just us there. And so she's trying to climb up. And of course, you know, she's like one and a half or two or something. And she'll get, you know, maybe a third of the way up and then the angle's too steep and slide back down. And, you know, we chuckled the first time and then the second or third time. We're like, okay, sweetie, you know, that's not how you get up. And you should probably come around and just climb up. And I remember she looked at me and she went, and I was like, oh no, I'm dad not getting in the way of that. She would not be denied. There was a resolve, a determination. I'm going to get there. It's funny because we do things like that with work or, or other things in our lives or hobbies. We do, we show resolve with all sorts of things, but yet like we tend to not show very good resolve with our own failures, with our own weaknesses. He says, be strong. Show resolve and of a good courage. And then he says, fear not. That's not a good translation. Literally, it's be strong and of a good courage without fear. In other words, don't let anxiety about the task in front of you weaken your resolve to do it. Don't let the anxiety, your anxiety for, uh, anxiety for the, about the task in front of you weaken your resolve to tackle it. Be strong of a good courage without fear, nor be afraid, different word, 
to be shaking or trembling because of them. Why? For the Lord your God. He it is that goes with you. And he's bigger than anything you'll face in Canaan. When I think of showing resolve, I think of Caleb. I mean, I I can't not help but think of Caleb. Him and Joshua come back with the spies, and they're all saying, yeah, it's everything God promised us. Got a problem, though. There's giants in the land, walled cities, armies that outnumber us. We're like grasshoppers in their sight. It's a no-go. And they're like, time out. No, 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 no. Nope. God was faithful with this. He'll deal with these guys. We don't need to fear them. We can go do this. They show resolve, and the people want to stone them. Well, when they go into the land, you know, Joshua and Caleb, they're the only ones from that generation who get to go into the land, and their resolve isn't weakened at all. When Caleb gets in there, he asks for the hardest hill. They're planning out things, and and Caleb comes to Joshua, and he said, listen. He goes, you were there. You were live when you heard God's voice, and he said, I get a special spot. I get whatever I want because I was faithful. Joshua's like, you're right. And Caleb goes, I want that hill with the big giants on it. That's the one I want. Now, it would have been very easy for people around go, Caleb, you're like 90 years old. This nice little, you know, spring over here. You know, you can have this one. There's like a few Canaanites just, you know, playing cards over there. Go deal with them. Go beat them at Pinochle or Bingo or something, right? Caleb, his resolve hadn't weakened at all. He's give me that hill. I want the hill with the giants. I want the hardest hill. Don't deny me. It's mine. His resolve hadn't weakened at all. He didn't mingle it with fear and anxiety. He didn't shake or tremble because he said, I know God's bigger than anything I can face. He will not fail thee. That's an interesting phrase. It means his arms will not hang limp. His arms won't be feeble in the task. He doesn't lack the power or the force necessary for the task. And he will not abandon you. He will not forsake you. You know, what walled cities, what walled cities has God asked you to take? What giants has he asked you to tackle in your life? Do you believe that God is bigger than those challenges? And do you believe he'll stick with you even through the hardest of times? Be courageous. Show resolve because he will. Now, having exhorted the people to finish well, Moses brings Joshua up now to exhort him to finish well. Verse 7, Moses called unto Joshua. He said, you come over here, bud. He said unto him in the sight of Israel, be strong and of a good courage, for you must go with this people unto the land which the Lord has sworn unto their fathers to give them, and you shall cause them to inherit it. You've got to lead them through this, Joshua. Told them to be strong and courageous. You've got to lead them in being strong and courageous. And the Lord, he it is that does go before you, so he will be with you. He will not fail you neither forsake you, so fear not. And then he adds one extra thing to Joshua, neither be dismayed, neither be dismayed. Before we get to that part, the Lord, he tells Joshua, he says, you got to do this because God promised. He swore an oath that this land was theirs. You know, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, it's a commonly quoted verse. A lot of times we don't know what it's attached to, but it says, for the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who is preached among you by us, even by me and Silvanus and Timothy, was not yea and nay. In other words, when we preached to you Jesus, we didn't mingle our message. We didn't say one thing one day and another thing another day. It says it wasn't yea and nay, but in him it was yea. I mean, this is how it was. And here it is. For all the promises of God in him are yea, and in him, amen, the truth unto the glory of God by us. All the promises of God are yes and amen. They're all true. They all hold up. That's another reason that we must be courageous. God never breaks his promises. And we have many promises from his word. Now here at the end, he tells them, neither be dismayed, which means to be shattered or discouraged. Listen, there's gonna be a few things that could definitely have shattered Joshua as a leader. He goes in, I mean, and they have this massive victory at Jericho. And, and that was a huge step of faith, huge step of faith. I mean, Joshua's definitely concerned about this thing because he goes out at night to go view the city and who meets him? The angel of the Lord, right? You know, Joshua is thinking at this point in time, he's like, 
Whose side are you on? I hope you're on our side because this plan, I don't know about it. You know, he's trusting the Lord, but it definitely is not the normal way to go about tackling a city. And I love what the Lord says. He goes, neither. But as captain of the Lord, I've hosts, I'm here. So you might want to get on your face. That's not the need right now to know what's going to happen. The need right now is just to worship Joshua, just to trust me. Joshua does, man. The whole nation does. It's an amazing moment of faith as they march around day after day, blow the trumpets, and then they do it seven times last day, blow the trumpets, the walls come down, they destroy Jericho. I mean, it's just a massive, massive victory. And you got to be thinking that people are pumped after this. They're like, nobody can stop our God. He's got this. Everything God said was true. And then they go and they attack this little village of Ai and they get whooped. People die. And Joshua falls down before the Lord. He's like, God, I don't get it. What's going on? Lord, you promised you'd do this, and now this is happening. I'm confused. And the Lord, he just says, get up, Joshua. This isn't about that. There's sin in the camp. I mean, I mean, I know I'm not near the caliber of Joshua as a man, but maybe I'm so far away that I, I can't comprehend not going, who did what? <laughs> I mean, if I had Achan in front of me right now, he'd have been Achan. If I, I would, I'd be looking at it and I'd forget about all this other stuff and stoning him. I'd just be shaking him going, what were you thinking? Like, did you not see the walls supernaturally fall down? Did you somehow think God wouldn't see that you took stuff that didn't belong to you? That belonged to him? What was going through your mind? You realize that there are hundreds of men that are dead now, that their kids don't have a daddy because of you? I would not have been able to handle it as well as Joshua did. It would have been very easy at that point in time to just take off the leader robe, put down the staff, and be like, I'm done. After that moment, you do that? And to think to himself, I know these people well enough that Achan was, wasn't the only one thinking it. He was just the only one dumb enough to do it, that he might encounter it again. If you're going to lead God's people, you can't let those things shatter you and discourage you. You must not become discouraged when things don't look like they're going well. You know, leaders, they must be sure to remind people of what God said, not give their own wisdom and they must show resolve to complete the task that God has given to them. So if you're here tonight, and maybe you're, you know, maybe you're leading at your job or, or just your family, or maybe you lead a ministry, you know, maybe you're discouraged tonight. I want to encourage you, don't be. The Lord will finish your work. Whatever it is, he'll finish your work. Stand on God's promise. Encourage yourself, not because you can do it, but through his character, that he won't forsake you, he won't fail you, that he'll be with you, and that he goes before you. Because that's more than enough to keep us going, even if we are alone. Even if no one's following, that's more than enough to keep us going. We see through the scripture and we see great moments. Like Peter, he goes out, preaches on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people get saved. And of course, everybody who ever dreams of being an evangelist is like, yeah. But there's also moments where all throughout the scripture where there's small victories. When you go on Mount Carmel and you stand on that mountain and you think, this is where fire came down from heaven, you can feel really small, really small. Because you think, I don't think I could do that. Well, the Bible says Elijah was a man like anybody else. And if you stop the story there and you don't read any further, you forget that he got so discouraged from just a nasty email from a lady in the church. True, nasty email. And he ran all the way down to Mount Sinai in the middle of Saudi Arabia. The same guy who saw fire come down from heaven. Read the stories of the big and the wonderful and all this stuff, but you know, there's much weakness there as well with greatness and great moments and big moments. Most of what we see throughout the scripture is just small faithful things. People just being faithful in the everyday. Yes, there's heroes. Yes, there's heroic moments. Just because it's a small moment doesn't make it less heroic if it's what God's told you to do. 
After exhorting Joshua to finish well, Moses turns to the priests and the leaders and he tells them they need to finish well. Look at verse nine. He says, and Moses wrote this law. That's the Pentateuch, everything we've been covering for the last four years. He wrote it and he delivered it unto the priests, the sons of Levi, which bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord and unto the elders of Israel. I don't know if that means he gave two copies out. I think he just delivered it to all the spiritual and and the uh, civil leaders. What's interesting is Moses gives them in addition to giving them God's word because the priests and the Levites, it was their job to teach it to the people. It was the elders' job to enforce the civil side of it. So they both had to be involved in that. That was something they already knew they needed to do. But in verse 10, Moses begins to give them a new responsibility. It says in verse 10, and Moses commanded them saying, at the end of every seven years, in the King James says solemnity of the year of release. In the uh, solemnity just means in the appointed time, the scheduled time of the year of canceling debts. That's what the year of release is, the Sabbath year. It was a year where whatever you owed, all those debts were canceled. Every seven years, all debts were canceled. That's why car places only give six-year loans, right? In the Feast of the Tabernacles, so not just every seventh year, but they would do it on the Feast of Tabernacles, the final feast of Israel's religious calendar. It was one of the three feasts where every Jewish male was required to attend. He says, when that happens, when all Israel has come to appear before the Lord your God in the place which he shall choose, the tabernacle, wherever it is at the time, He says, you shall read this law before all Israel in their hearing. Interesting, what we've done the last four years, that's what they were going to do in the Feast of Tabernacles lasted eight days. They would do that in eight days. They would read all the Pentateuch every seven years on the Feast of Tabernacles. This certainly was not meant to replace the responsibility of parents to teach their children the word of God every day. That's in Deuteronomy 6. Nor was it to replace the Levites' responsibility to teach God's word all throughout the land. But it did serve as an important opportunity for Israel to recommit themselves to the Lord every seven years. Every seven years, they would hear it all again and it would provide them the opportunity as they would close out with Deuteronomy, the last book of the law, which talks about loving God supremely and calling them to recommitment. It would provide them with an opportunity to recommit themselves to the Lord every seven years. So he says to them in verse 12, when you do this and you read to them, gather the people together, men, women, and children, and the foreigner that is within your gates, that they may hear, that they may learn, and fear the Lord your God and observe to do all the words of this law. So here it is, we see it's not just about being present or even learning. It's about they're supposed to fear the Lord after they hear it. In other words, they'll, it's about deciding to love what God loves and hate what he hates. And that, does, that decision to do that would result in observing to do all the words of this law. So it would result in action. But also, verse 13, it would have the added benefit that their children, which have not known anything, in other words, they didn't see the land being taken, they didn't see the walls of Jericho fall, they didn't see the dramatic deliverance from Egypt through Pharaoh, that their children, which have not known anything, may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live in the land, whether you go over Jordan to possess it. So not only would it give this generation a chance to recommit themselves to the Lord every seven years, but it would give future generations who came after the land was conquered an opportunity to hear the entire story from beginning to end so they could commit their lives to loving God supremely as well. God desires obedience till the very end. He promises that he will be with us and walk us through every battle, every hardship, and every new journey. We have all the tools to finish our race well, like Moses did. All we must do is choose to follow God daily, choose his ways over our own, that we may walk in the life He offers. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800. 
during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word.